This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Hey everyone, this is Sean Daly. Welcome to Green Talk Radio. Today is the latest installment in our ongoing Green Blogger series. I'm very excited about today's episode because I get to talk to somebody who I admire quite a bit and is a very authentic and funny guy who's been around in the Lojas industry as far as actually even before uh, I got involved myself. In fact, his website was one of the first ones that I started following. So I will start by introducing Chris Baskind, who is the editor of LighterFootstep.com. It's a popular website that publishes under the motto, Living Cheap is the New Green. Chris spent many years in the radio industry as a programmer and operation manager before co-founding Lighter Footstep with business partner Lisa Cagle in 2007. Chris is still frequently on the radio, though now as a spokesperson on environmental and green living issues. Chris was an early proponent of social media as a conduit for environmental education and networking and runs Lighter Footsteps, a very busy Twitter account. Chris is also an enthusiastic cyclist. I'm sure we'll be talking about that a bit and lives in Pensacola, Florida. So, hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And I'm, I can tell you've already gotten my PayPal payment for such a great uh, introduction. Thanks very much. Oh, and thank you for your payment. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I am genuinely excited to talk to you. And uh, you and I have known each other over, I don't know what, Skype and email for, for forever. And uh, I, it sincerely was, Lighter Footstep was one of the first sites I started following uh, back in the day, along with Tree Hugger and, and a couple others, and have always been really impressed by your, I, I like the combination of, of uh, you know, I think respectful snarkiness along with uh, <laughs> authenticity and genuine good content that's relevant and a, a little bit more cutting edge and a little bit more realistic. I think pr- pragmatism comes to mind as a word f- for describing the kind of content that you uh, seems to be your hallmark on, on lighter footstep, at least from, from my perspective. Um, so w- I guess what I'd like to do, Chris, is hear your story. First of all, how the hell did you get into all this? Well, you, you know, uh, a lot of people used to be in radio. Um, and, and I was for, for many years. In fact, so was my partner, um, Lisa. We've known each other through radio for, for, for many years. And uh, the, the radio industry has changed a great deal. Um, and uh, some years ago, I started thinking, well, what's next? Radio is great. I really had a great time doing radio. Um, and, and I started thinking about, well, you know, where, where are people these days? And, and the, uh, the web was just really starting to take root. And, you know, personally, my convictions had become um, uh, very more focused on, uh, uh, on what we now call green living or Lojas issues. Uh, so it seemed a very natural transition to start moving towards the web. And, and we started thinking uh, about Lighter Footstep, which like so many web projects uh, ended up being born uh, in, in a coffee shop, uh, you know, literally scribbled on a napkin, mm-hmm. and uh, which is you know, all very romantic and fun. But uh, um, you know, it's been hard work as 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 well. But you know, I did radio for uh, for uh, for many years and traveled around the uh, the country, uh, mostly in the in the uh, in the southeast. 
and uh, now I can do uh, work out of my uh, out of my home office. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and certainly a lot more conducive to living a green lifestyle because I don't do a lot of driving. Yeah, it's good. That's a great lifestyle. It's uh, so. What were you doing in uh, the radio industry? Uh, well, I was a programmer. Uh, I was on the air a little bit too, um, mostly uh, mostly doing morning shows. But you have the perfect radio voice too. I love it. So I, I, I was going to say you, you would have been wasted talent if you hadn't done a little on air time too. Being, being on the air was always a, a lot of fun, uh, mostly on music-based stations, and I preferred doing what, what uh, we all now call classic rock. Uh, but it wasn't classic when I started doing it. It was current. <laughs> That's scary, uh, isn't it? it? It really is. You know, people talk about songs like Hotel California in the long run, all these, these you know, real staples of uh, classic rock radio, like, oh, these are, these are really old songs. I played them when they were 45s. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I did, uh, I did programming, uh, radio programming. The, the, uh, the program director in a radio station – uh, at least traditionally, is the uh, the guy that gets to craft the sound of the radio station. Um, and it used to be every radio station would have a program director or or uh, would share a program director with just, just a couple of other uh, radio stations. And that person would be responsible for, for doing things like training air talent and uh, hiring disc jockeys and deciding which records you play or don't play. That's actually a more important uh, uh, decision. And... Uh, uh, inter- interfacing with the uh, other parts of the radio station, such as the sales department and uh, and management, and, and and helping to meet the licensing requirements. Uh, so I did this at, at radio stations all around the country, and and consulted quite a few stations, and, and had a great career uh, in in radio. It was really quite successful. Uh, my uh, last big assignment was uh, actually not too far from here in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, we had a group of, uh, of uh, radio stations there, all of which are still doing terrific. So that was a good place to uh, sort, of, uh, sort of wrap up. But there are a lot of similarities between radio, as it was uh, a few years ago, and now running your own website. Uh, you're, you're just like a radio programmer. Uh, somebody that is, is running a website is responsible for the content of, of what's out there. Uh, you're responsible for, you know, you used to, instead, of, instead of picking records, you're responsible for choosing your topics. Um, instead of hiring disc jockeys, you're responsible for bringing other writers and voices into your into your site, and perhaps most importantly, responding to the uh, voices of your readers. Uh, so it's a lot like uh, it's a lot like radio. Uh, there are there are a lot of parallels between um, the uh, web publishing industry and radio. I think a lot more contact points between radio and the web publishing industry than say television or 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 newspaper. It's very media. It's very personal. And uh, for uh, for Lisa and I, it was a very very uh, logical trans transition, which we're still in, still enjoying. And, and instead of fending off uh, artist relations guys, AR reps, you're fending off PR people that are claiming green things, right? It's, it's exactly the same thing. We you know we used to have the uh, the long line of record reps calling us usually on Tuesdays or whatever your music day is, and. Um, uh, uh, telling telling the story. Well, you just I'm sure you have the same the same thing. We hear from a lot of PR people. Some are great. Some are very competent and uh, dedicated to their product, and they understand uh, the uh, the green the green web sector, and more importantly, they understand our readers. Um, 
but then we get the inevitable slew. We probably, I probably get two dozen every day of, of, of pitches for things that are just completely inappropriate. And it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, it's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like being a program director. We're gating the radio station. We're gating the other uh, websites as well. Right. So instead of your song sucks, your product sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't, uh, yeah, we, we don't, I don't take phone requests anymore. I guess that's uh, right. uh, a big, a big difference, but you know, there's, there's IM, there's Twitter, there's, uh, there's a, there's, there's, there's email. So, uh, a, a lot, a lot of similarities to the old industry. So lighter footsteps tagline, Chris is living cheap is the new green. So tell, tell us what's that all about? Well, it, this is you know, when we first started lighter footstep, uh, which has been a couple of years now, uh, there weren't a lot of green sites. Uh, there were a lot of the, uh, the people now we now view as stalwarts that were already there. Of course, tree hugger, uh, grist, uh, some, some big sites, but very few people were really screwing down on green living. Uh, they were general environmental publications and we really started out as a general publication and then very quickly ended up being, uh, much more oriented towards, um, personal action. Uh, being practical, you said pragmatic a few minutes ago, and that's great. If, if people think we're pragmatic, then we're doing our job uh, because green's for everybody. And, and, and uh, um, you know, the green is uh, green's basically a path, and we all start in different places. So if we're pragmatic and we accept people where they are and help them do what they can do uh, to get started, that's usually the, the most productive thing. But, yeah, when we say living cheap is the new green, this is something we really started um, uh, screwing down on. Uh, late late last year, um, I became concerned that the green movement as a whole, and perhaps also uh, green publishers, were becoming uh, a lot more like product catalogs uh, than than practical guides to uh, every everyday living. There's a lot of great green stuff out there. I mean, consumers have so many great choices that they didn't have five years ago. Uh, but there's also a lot of really expensive stuff of dubious uh, value to the environment, uh, to our families, to our health, and, and certainly to our budget. And I'm concerned that when people hear green or echo these days, particularly when we're talking about products, their first thought is, oh, that's expensive. Um, if you are, if you're doing green right from our perspective, you know, as we, we're talking about living cheap is the, is the new green you know, it's not what you buy; it's it's what you don't buy. Reducing <laughs> consumption is is really the truest form of green. And while there are great green products out there, and we think people should investigate those products and pick the ones that fit their lifestyles the best, and we're all responsible for being good stewards of our own resources and those of the environment. So, being a green consumer isn't necessarily a contradiction in terms, but the important stuff. Uh, really has to do with uh, with with saying no, saying no to waste, saying no to buying new when you can buy something that would do just as well, uh, which which uh, which which is used. Cutting down on the amount of electricity that you're using simply by doing things like turning off lights. Um, uh, it, it's not necessary to buy a five hundred dollar. Uh, renewable bamboo uh, floor or do a $10,000 home improvement project to be robustly and thoroughly green. Uh, it's got to do with uh, our, our, our lifestyle values, our, 
our, our real attitude towards you know how how we use the resources that come into our hands and reuse these these uh, these these resources and that's what we mean by living cheap is the new green reduce your use uh, reduce your consumption um, uh, ultimately this is the best way to uh, help the environment and uh, it's also a component of social justice because the people that we're talking to are probably the most resource intensive people in the world if you can get on the internet chances are you're a pretty um, voracious consumer and those are the people that 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 need to take the closest look as i have to myself in my daily life uh with uh with with uh with our own habits so that's the direction that we're going on on, on lighter footstep it's not it's not just paying the green premium it's knowing when not to buy anything at all Right. So it's, it's tied to the economic strata is what you're saying is that the, basically the more resources you have, the more likely you are that you're over consuming or having a greater uh, carbon footprint or whatever the footprint is you're measuring. Well, it's certainly it's certainly um, uh, at least the public conception that if you got a lot of money, it's easy to be green because you can throw it at these, uh, you know, you can you can take an echo vacation. You can buy uh, a brand new uh, hybrid vehicle. Uh, hybrid vehicles are terrific. Driving less is even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking an echo vacation is fantastic. Um, uh, living uh, as if you're on an echo vacation permanently is is, is even better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an attitude. It's an attitude adjustment. And, and of course, right now um, the economy is uh, is is going through a very rough time. Uh, this is the first big recession since the uh, the seventies. Uh, certainly a, a steep recession, and there's no guarantee that we're, uh, we're out of the woods yet. So if the green movement is going to remain relevant, we've got to do a lot more helping people to live green lives than throwing increasingly expensive luxury products at them and saying these are green. Right. And having fewer financial resources, both on an individual or family level, as well as economically, a recession is very green, as it turns out, though nobody would wish it for those reasons. But as it turns out, what we I think you make a good point or several good points. And I think also part of it is that when we're in better times, which I think we all are certainly hoping that that'll that those days will be here soon, that uh, we will continue to uh, continue on with those practices, which we may be adopted out of necessity during these times. Well, it's certainly an opportunity to reexamine what's um, uh, what's important. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the last person that's going to say, "Hey, recession is great for green because people want to live well, people want to live comfortably, people want to live without fear." And when you're talking about a recession and people that are worried about their jobs and worried about losing their homes and stuff, it's 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 easy to sound uh, uh, flippant. And I, I don't mean you just said that, by the way. Or I don't I don't mean that you were you, you were just flippant in in your attitude. But it's easy to come across that way when you're saying things like, gosh, I sure wish gas prices were incredibly, insanely high so people wouldn't drive so much. A lot better to just educate them that there are alternatives and make uh, uh, public transportation available to them, show them how well bicycles work, help them transform their neighborhoods into more walkable and livable spaces, and to take advantage of, uh, take advantage of the things that are around them that perhaps they're not already paying attention to. Yeah, no, I fully agree with you. I'm, I'm actually pretty fiscally, uh, at least fiscally conservative, maybe not so much on, on the other on other issues, on social issues, but uh, so I'm certainly all for whatever creates prosperity and uh, sustainable prosperity. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a lot more questions for you and uh, I want to uh, ask you about being a blogger and also want to talk bikes with you, but we're going to have to do that after the break. Uh, we are talking today with Chris Baskind. He is the editor of Lighter Footstep 
online at lighterfootstep.com. You can also find Chris on his own personal website, which is chrisbaskind.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-B-A-S-K-I-N-D. And you can find both Chris and Lighter Footstep on Twitter under those same names, Chris Baskind and Lighter Footstep. We'll be right back on Green Talk Radio. Thanks, everyone. And we're back on Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly. We're talking today in our Green Blogger series with Chris Baskind of LighterFootstep.com. Chris, we were talking before the break about how you got started in all of this and some of the content that you're covering. I wanted to mention to people listening in some of the recent posts from LighterFootstep.com, which include 12 cool urban bicycles ready to replace your car and Kimberly Clark to stop turning boreal forests into Kleenex. I love that one too. Uh, both great pieces. Uh, I wanted to ask you about being a blogger. Uh, I know obviously you started that way. I assume you're uh, actually, I don't assume I know for a fact that you're continuing to blog. Are you still having fun with it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Blogging is, uh, is, is fun. Um, if you know what you call it, blogging or, or, or web publishing, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a very independent course. And if you can make it go, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's also a lot of work, as you probably know, coming up with, uh, with, with topics and having to supervise your own direction is not for absolutely everybody, but, uh, it seems to, uh, suit me really well. Yeah. And it's all in the social media end as well. You know, you've, there's a lot of promotional work that happens that most people don't know about. Uh, and I know you consider like lighter footstep not to actually be a, technically a blog. Well, you know, when we start using terms like this, um, they're uh, they're kind of slippery. Uh, you've probably heard me talking about before. It's difficult. It's difficult to start drawing lines between blogs and other forms of digital media these days. A few years ago, maybe there were a lot of differences between what we would commonly call blogs and say mainstream uh, websites like CNN or USA Today or any of the other big digital publications that are out there. But a lot of the distinctives that set blogs apart from these publications have really kind of gone away. You know, we, we, we were the first with RSS feeds. Thanks, Dave Weiner. Um, uh, you know, we were the first to make feeds available so people can read not just on the site but from an RSS reader or whether it's full text or as, as, as summaries. Well, now pretty much everybody's got an, an RSS feed, at least a, a, a summary feed. Uh, we were the first to have uh, comments and interact directly with, with readers. This is huge. I mean, that, that was a huge difference between mainstream publications and, and, and blogs uh, a few years ago. But now pretty much everybody has, has comments as well. Um, you know, it's difficult to find big points of differentiation between digital media like the New York Times and uh, digital media such as you and I might uh, be, be involved in publishing other than perhaps scale. And, and even there, there are exceptions. The Huffington Post, for instance, which has an excellent uh, uh, green section. Uh, a lot of our mutual friends uh, write for the Huffington Post. People call it a blog. But you know, how is it fundamentally different from from uh, the New York Times? They're sourcing their own material these days. It's not just they're not just rewriting um, stories that they're finding on on wire services or the mainstream media. They're actually doing reporting and they're doing more of it 
um, they're um, you know they've got uh, they they have they have a, a vigorous uh, interaction with uh, with uh, with their readers as do, as do some of these big publications. So a lot of these barriers have really broken down and, and changed over the last couple of years. One of the things that I've found interesting with that and that I've noticed uh, is the fact that it used to be where it was like the scourge to be a blogger because mainstream media was still you know, newspapers weren't didn't have their backs up against the wall as much as they do now. And so it was kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm a blogger. You didn't get any respect. Now they're featuring bloggers on CNN and they're, you know, and everybody wants a blog, even if you're a large media publication or somebody like, uh, you know, Huffington Post or your CNN or whatever, it's like, it's all about your blogs. And so that term actually became more sexy, but on the technical side, you're totally right where these lines are completely blurry you know, content management systems versus blogs versus, uh, you know, an online, you know, newspaper or journal. I mean, it's, it's meaningless, really. It's like you have content and you put it on a website. Yeah, it's certainly meaningless to readers who, who, who don't pay any attention to that kind of thing. And they're, they're all about content. They're, they want to know uh, what it is that they, they're coming to your site for and and that maybe they'd like to respond. Uh, they don't really know that you're, you're running a, a true CMS or a blogging engine or anything else. Uh, they just are, are, are there to have a good read. So you know, hopefully we're meeting those needs. Yeah, and I think that you really pointed to one of the biggest differentiators, which is whether or not you're completely sourcing your, your own original content. And that's where larger budgets come into play and having a field uh, of journalists that are out there, you know, in the field reporting for you to get original scoops and stories rather than just basically repurposing other people's RSS feeds or commenting on those feeds and, and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe the term blogger, if, if it still has any distinctive meaning, uh, is, uh, is somebody who comments on, on events or, uh, or, or, or issues. And, and certainly I try to do that. So yeah, I'm a blogger. It's almost pun- uh, punditry really. Yeah. There's, there's a certain, there's a certain, um, uh, affinity with, with, with punditry, you know, at the same time, uh, I think that bloggers are being asked to, uh, step up, uh, these days, uh, we're, we're being asked since we're beginning to, uh, become commercially viable. A lot of us are, uh, we're beginning to uh, be asked to act, uh, responsibly, um, uh, more in the in a journalistic mode than perhaps we were expected to five years ago, and this is a big growing process for everybody. All right, Chris. So let's talk bikes. I know you're in. <laughs> was that what were you going to say? Uh, yeah, I was about to say I'm, I'm always happy to talk bike because usually I'm on one. Um, <laughs> I know uh, you're an avid bicyclist, and I know you actually write about that quite, quite a bit too. And I hear you're car free. Is that true? I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty much car-free, at least for now. I still own a car. Uh, it's a big, uh, inefficient, uh, American-built minivan. Not what you expect to see the green blogger driving. Um, but it also stays in the, uh, in, in the driveway. It's got grass growing up around it, uh, which uh, I'm going to have to trim down before I get a code violation. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, I, I don't think uh, – I've not driven in hmm, six or seven weeks uh, I decided that July was going to be a um, a car free month, um, uh, partially because uh, I was celebrating Lance Armstrong's uh, return to cycling at the Tour de France and his work with Livestrong, but but also to set that as a personal goal. I uh, got started a couple of weeks before before July. Actually, got started about halfway through June. Got to the end of July and realized, you know. This is really going just fine. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and leave the car in the uh, in in the driveway and continue to uh, to cycle. I think bicycles are uh, really a, an enormous blessing uh, 
uh, for uh, for humanity. They are among the most efficient machines we've ever invented. They're certainly the most efficient machine we've ever invented in terms of of transportation. The number of calories you put in versus the number of miles uh, you uh, you you get out. They're they're very inexpensive to maintain. Uh, people can learn to do it themselves. You're not at the mercy necessarily of a professional, although there are plenty of great professional bike fixers and uh, bike shops uh, that, that are out there and uh, that want to help you. Uh, a good bicycle can last you 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, I still have uh, my college bicycle. Don't ride it much, but it's still there, um, and and it's it's a it's a it's a solid investment. You know, bicycles do have footprints when 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 you make them environmental footprints because they are they are machined. You know, you've got to go get the raw materials from someplace. They're going to pass through a factory. They have to be shipped. So it, it's it's not that they were without impact, but compared to an automobile, uh, it's it's a fractional impact compared to uh, even buses or or, uh, or or rail. And of course, they're emissions free. So uh, for a lot of people, um, bicycles are an excellent means of day-to-day primary transportation. For a bunch of other people, you can save yourself a lot of money, cut down your 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 personal in, uh, environmental footprint and the emissions that you put out, and um, and and quit burning fossil fuels by maybe using a bicycle a couple of days a week, whether it's to run errands or maybe commute part time. Uh, or just uh, just get out and enjoy uh, enjoy nature instead of taking uh, a joyride. Do it uh, on a bicycle. Yeah, well, that's uh, one of the things that I'm surprised you hadn't mentioned yet, which is the other huge benefit is staying in shape. You know, we're we're an overweight country. We don't get enough exercise, and a bike is just a fantastic way to be able to stay in shape every day. I'm using it as a way to get myself back into shape, like many bloggers. Um, I found myself uh, at middle age and a little thick around the middle than I was comfortable being. So it was one of the reasons um, that I decided that you know, look, I'm going to spend I'm going to spend a lot more time on my bike and a lot more time uh, uh, getting physical exercise. I've got a way to go. I'll still be I'll still be working out and reclaiming my health for for months. But it's made an enormous difference to me, uh, both in my outlook. And in the energy level I have during the day, uh, these days I start my day with a bike ride, um, and and I don't I don't begin working until I'm off the bike and cool down. Usually it's first first very first thing in the morning, right after sunrise, uh, and it's uh, it's as good as a uh, pot of coffee. That doesn't mean I don't have my coffee because I sure do. Um, but, <laughs> well, if one uh, thing is good, <laughs> then two things is better, right? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, but I'm I'm uh, but by the you know by the time I sit down to my to my coffee, I, my day started. I'm thinking, well, my blood's pumping, and uh, you know, it's 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 really good for you know a, a lot of people that have have made the transition from commuting in an automobile, you know, sleepily getting behind the wheel and spilling that coffee on their on their 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 leg as they they slam through traffic for 20 or 30 minutes to get to the office. They're as tired when they get to the office, or more so, as uh, when they then they started their journey. Uh, but uh, you know, after you get past the initial adjustment, and there is an adjustment. Uh, of 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 bicycle commuting, you know, suddenly you're hitting the start of your day uh, with uh, with energy. You look forward to the trip home because you enjoy the cool down ride going back to the house. That's pretty easy for me because I don't actually have to commute any place to get to uh, 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 where I work. It's just a few steps across my house. But I'm doing all my grocery shopping and errands on a bicycle, uh, and uh, uh, it's it's been it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, if I can stay car free. I'm going to I'm going to I'm 
going to try to do that. But yeah, we, we highlighted some of the, uh, the bikes that make that easy and lighter footstep. And that's uh, currently uh, on, on our, on our front page. Yeah. So, and it's interesting too. Another advantage that I've seen is that, um, you know, one of the, well, I think really this whole, you know, whether or not to use your car issue and, and being forced to, it has a lot to do with our urban and suburban design of our cities. And, you know, the fact that they're not made for walking and you look at, you know, Europe and other places that have been around thousands of years, they were made for walking because, you know, there weren't any cars. And, and so uh, people have complained, well, you know, I live in a place where I have to go five miles to get to the store and it's not practical for me to have to walk all the time. Well, bicycles really answer that argument because you're now extending more conveniently um, that distance. And I'm curious on that, how far in this month uh, that you were car free, just using your bike, what was the longest distance you were going to do some sort of typical day to day activity? Had to run a long errand this weekend. And, and I stacked it into the weekend on purpose. Um, uh, I had to uh, take some papers to somebody uh, that really, really, I needed to be physically present. And uh, that ended up being uh, a 30 mile round trip. Um, but that was, you know, it's a simple, you know, it was less than two hours from the beginning of the errand until I was sitting back at the house. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, 30 mile, 30 mile round trip is a, is a pretty uh, healthy commute. I know people that, that are, and the, I think these people are hardcore. I know people that are riding their bicycle to work on 25-mile single-leg uh, commutes. They're doing 50 miles a day. That may not be possible for everybody. And and certainly, um, you know, we as Greens shouldn't be judgmental about what is and is not doable mm-hmm. uh, for people. But but you're right. Bicycles extend the range that you can utilize your community. So a sprawled-out neighborhood, at, at least in terms of what you can actually get to, gets a little bit smaller when you're on 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 a on a bicycle, and uh, you may not want want to walk to your corner store, but you can jump on a bike and be there in a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, most of my errands that, that, that I do are under five miles round trip. And, and, and really, it, pretty much anybody in average shape, uh, once they learn to handle a bicycle and, and have a properly adjusted bicycle that they feel, they feel comfortable with, can handle uh, a five-mile errand absolutely effortlessly without, without necessarily even raising a sweat. I live in a very hot part of the country, so I know all about heat and humidity. Um, but uh, uh, most most healthy people uh, can can do simple errands on their bike immediately uh, of uh, uh, three to five miles. No problem at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's amazing to me, too, that I, I see very few people over the age of, you know, 55 on bikes in, in the U.S., uh, for a community, I, I see the hardcore, like sort of like the post middle age looking to recapture their athletics and their on bikes and they're getting into road biking. Like my, my in-laws are like that, which is great. They go to the Island of Majorca and ride around and all these other crazy things. But I think like when I'm in Europe, I see, you know, little old ladies on their bike with a basket in front, carrying groceries back and forth to the store on their bike. I, you know, it's not strange there. Um, and here I just don't see that as much. Well, I, for, first of all, I will tell you that some guy who is clearly older than me kicked my butt yesterday morning uh, climbing um, a big bridge not too far from this house. So uh, age is not necessarily uh, uh, um, uh, limiting. I thought I could hang on to his back wheel, and he really, he really, um, he he gave me a, a, a bit of a workout. Definitely ten or fifteen years older than me. I'll be working on that. Um, <laughs> That's inspiring. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, I love, I love, I love utility uh, uh, kind of bicycles. You know, I ride uh, uh, an upright uh, uh, style bicycle. It's not like a not like a road or racing bike like we were just talking about a second ago. Uh, it's uh, it's upright. It's uh, it's actually a long bike by a company called 
extra cycle, and it will handle 100 pounds of cargo on the back without too much trouble. Now, you wouldn't necessarily want to ride with 100 pounds of cargo on, on a regular basis, but, you know, I can take uh, on that bicycle. With, I don't need bungee cords or anything to handle a full basket of groceries. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that's tremendously convenient. Yeah, having a bike with a basket on the front or panniers on the back, uh, is uh, is is a real blessing, and you know when I'm, when I'm talking about commuting bicycles, we really are talking about bikes that can haul a little bit, whether it's a, a briefcase and a change of clothes or a week's worth of groceries. Right. Chris, we have time for just one more question. That I wanted to ask you. I saw a newspaper article that quoted you last week criticizing bottled water, and I was just curious about how you got involved in, in that topic. You know, we're involved with that and with BlueLivingIdeas.com. I wanted to hear a little yeah. bit how you were connected to that. Yeah, Blue Living Ideas is a, is, is a great site. Yeah, I feel very passionately about water issues, and I'm glad you do too, uh, because when we're talking about the, the next century, I, I am convinced that there, there are two things that we're going to be dealing with in the 21st century, which is the end of fossil fuel, uh, or, or certainly fossil fuels uh, uh, be, becoming uh, much more expensive and uh, environmentally expensive to use in terms of, of, of emissions, and, and perhaps even most of all, uh, we're going to be dealing with the availability of fresh water. Uh, the planet's covered with water, but only about 7% of it is is drinkable. And of that, all but a tiny fraction is locked up in, uh, in, in ice. Uh, so water's actually, uh, it remains a, a tremendously um, uh, uh, precious resource to us, which is why it makes me crazy when I see people paying a buck for a bottle of water. Um, there, you know, there's a time and a place for 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 bottled water, emergencies, health issues, um, uh, even even there, there can you can even make an argument for for um, for convenience. Uh, so bottled water isn't inherently bad, but it is inherently a ripoff. If you know, you look look how you're spending a buck on a on a on a on a bottle of what is almost always in the United States filtered municipal water anyway it's pretty much the same thing that you you you'd uh, you get out of the out of the tap you know, bottled water is more expensive than gasoline that is just insane and on top of that it generates a tremendous amount of plastic waste which is something that we really have to address right now you know since you're you're publishing uh, a site about water you're probably aware of the tremendous effects that plastic have on the marine environment in particular. We've got the Pacific gyre. Uh, we've, we've, got, we've got all kinds of marine animals that are mistaking plastic for, for food sources. So we, uh, some time ago, we ended up writing a, an article called Five Reasons Not to Drink Bottled Water. And it was intended to be a very small article, but Slate.com picked it up. I think it got mentioned on NPR. The BBC called about it. We ended up on Canadian television. It, it, it went on and on. By far the most read article on the site, and it's about bottled water. In fact, if you Google bottled water, I'll bet you Lighter Footsteps article is on the front page of the, of the, uh, the search results. So we still get a lot of calls about uh, uh, bottled water and ways people can minimize that. We're always big proponents of using things like stainless steel water bottles, which are reusable. Bottle your own water. You can do it. Your tap water is probably of terrific quality. If you'd like it to, to taste different than what it tastes like, go and buy one of the filters or you, know, you can get one of the filters you can put in the refrigerator. You can do one of the under-sink things if you'd like uh, a reverse osmosis uh, filter. Use stainless steel water bottles. You've always got uh, water you can, you can take around with you and save literally hundreds of dollars a year 
and and quit putting plastic back into the environment and into into uh, landfills. Yeah, 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 we can we can go on and on about. Yeah, that. no, it's great. No, it's a great. It's a very important topic, and I mean, every, people need to get conscious about it because you know everybody still does it. And I, I think the only time I, I ever do it myself personally is when you're trapped in the airport and they take your bottles away from you and you're stuck in the in the airport in the corralled area where you keep your security area. That, that's the one time. But other than that, I totally agree with you. I, I really think that. Uh, that it is, uh, it's kind of a scourge and it's, it's a, it's a sham and, and it really needs to stop. And there are so many other options. And it gets, it gets portrayed as, you know, the marketers say, try to create the image that bottled water is, is, is healthy water, but it's really no healthier than, than, than tap water. It's, it's tremendously more expensive, but you're right. There is a time and a place for it. You know, we live here in, in Pensacola, we're in a hurricane area and every now and then hurricane comes along, kicks the stuffing out of us and we have no water. Uh, we're always very happy to see uh, a big flat of, uh, of 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 bottled water at that time, but you know those are sp- those those are special those are special cases. Yeah. By and large, people can do better, save money, and be kinder to the environment by finding alternatives. Definitely, and that the, the plastic. If you need more uh, evidence of why it's bad, take a look at the uh, the articles that are out there on the plastic sea of garbage that's out there floating uh, at uh, Alexandra Cousteau and other people have covered. Uh, it's pretty uh, pretty impressive in a, in, a, in a bad way. So. Um, well, Chris, it was a pleasure talking to you today. I'm really glad we got a chance to get to know each other a little bit better, and along with uh, the listeners and people that regularly visit your site. Uh, appreciate you being on the program. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for everything you do. Your, your publications are, are excellent. It's always been fun to uh, listen to uh, your show, and uh, you've had some great bloggers, so I feel like I'm, I've been in, uh, in, in good company. Thanks a lot. Well, people like you make it easy. Thanks, and thanks to all of you out there, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.